Would you stand, please? Dan's going to come this morning and read our scripture for us from the book of Matthew. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 14, 13 to 21. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I would be remiss if I did not begin this morning by remembering yesterday, which for all of us was a sobering day, a reminder that, can you believe it's been 20 years since 9-11? Uh, and for Rebecca and myself, that, that event, while, while all of us will, who were alive will always remember it and we will always be affected by it, that was a particularly memorable event for us because it happened just a few months after we were married. And so forever we have tied our first year of marriage to that event and the way that, that it shaped us as a young couple. And we, thinking back to yesterday, and, and, and certainly there's a lot to be thankful for, to remember heroes who were so brave and who gave of themselves, and, and many things after that terrible event that resulted that were for the good of our communities and for the good of our country. We also remember that almost 3,000 people died, and we remembered their lives. And so yesterday, for, for me, for many of us, had a lot of heaviness with it. And then, of course, we look around right now and we say, well, yes, almost 3,000 people died on 9-11. We've lost over 600,000 people to COVID or some COVID-related illness in the last year and a half. And all of this sickness and death and all of the reminders, it, it wears on all of us. Not to mention our healthcare workers and our first responders and our educators who are back in school and even, yes, pastors who are tired and have been working overtime and, and, and going uh, over and above in so many areas of life. But, but we're all tired and we're all feeling it. And then we look around the world and we see global crises developing like the one in Afghanistan and we think Lord how much longer and how much more and how much heavier can things get 
Now, I will say regarding the, the situation with Afghanistan, and as you know by now, we're going to be receiving several hundred Afghan refugees in Tulsa. I have been very encouraged by the response of this church. In fact, last Wednesday, we just threw together a couple of meetings to try to get some information out about the ways that our church is going to be able to be on the front line of welcome and serving to the Afghans, and we had great attendance. And there were many of you who reached out and said, we didn't know about the meeting because we did sort of have to throw it together at the last minute. So this Wednesday, we'll be offering the same meetings again in the chapel, two different time offerings. You can read more about that in your channel. So you can come and join us and, and learn more. I've been incredibly encouraged by that. But at the same time, I've heard lots of ugliness about it too not here in our church but in other places and it, it, it just adds to not just the heaviness and the exhaustion that we all feel but the way that division is so clearly present to the fact to, that that we feel like we really can't even talk about any current issue without upsetting somebody or creating some kind of conflict and again we're all tired and we keep asking the Lord how much longer and how much more can we take even watching Louisiana get slammed by another hurricane in the midst of it God how much longer how much more can we take and Lord how much more do you expect us to give today I want to challenge us to resist something that I see as very prevalent in our culture and if we're not careful it easily creeps its way into the church. I want to challenge us today to resist the death of compassion. Because when we are tired, when we are overextended, when we reach that point where we feel like not just how much longer, but I have nothing left to give, in our hearts and lives, it's often compassion that goes quickly. And as you look around our, our culture today, and again, it even happens in the church empathy is evaporating what what has happened to the ability of people to say if i were in their shoes what would i do what what's happened to to the the characteristic of empathy that says if i were them what wouldn't i do for my loved ones what would i do if i was facing that crisis we're losing empathy compassion seems to be dying and i'm challenging us this morning to resist the death of compassion in our church as we read this story, which is a rare story that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. It's very rare that you'll find one story about Jesus that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell and basically tell the story in the same way with most of the same details. Not only that, but this is the only miracle of Jesus in Galilee that is in all four Gospels. There is something about this story that was so memorable and it resonated so deeply with the disciples, those who were there, and those who wrote these things down for us in the Gospels that every one of the Gospels includes it and wants us as the reader to hear the amazing things that the Lord did. But I also think the things that they learned in what was one of the most teachable moments in all of Jesus' ministry. This is a story that our boys and girls who go to Sunday school could probably tell you from memory because it's a great story to teach to kids. But today, I want us to see how Christ modeled and also engaged his disciples in acts of compassion so that we too would resist the death of compassion in our lives. So the story 
right up front early on tells us that Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. But the way the story actually begins is that Jesus withdrew. He was already surrounded by the crowds. He was already surrounded by lots of people who were in need, in need of healing, in need of other acts of ministry and service that he and his disciples had to offer. But he withdrew. And so we ask the question, why did Jesus withdraw? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons. The first is, and this is the way John Chrysostom said it, Jesus had this as a, a natural rhythm of his physical life and ministry. Jesus often had this rhythm of balancing interaction with people and solitude with the Lord. If you're feeling tired and worn down and exhausted and, and feeling like you, you really have nothing left to give at this point, when was the last time you had some real, true solitude, not just by yourself, but in the presence of the Lord? Jesus was constantly in demand, constantly giving and giving and giving of himself, and he made it a, a regular part of the rhythm of his life with his full humanity to take time away, to step back, to withdraw, and to be just simply present with the Father. I know that's hard in our culture and the lives we live. It's not just hard as an American— it's hard as a dad with a house that has four children in it. It's hard to find solitude and find that alone time with the Lord. But if Jesus saw this as such an essential part of his own spiritual life and spiritual health in his relationship as the son to the father, how much more should we consider this rhythm to be an example? And so Jesus withdrew because in some ways this is what he did regularly. But Matthew also tells us that he withdrew from the crowds because of the news he had just received. And if you read in the, the passage just right before this story, what Jesus had heard was that his beloved cousin, John the Baptist, had been executed by Herod. So we find Jesus in this story not just tired, not just overextended, not just withdrawing because he needed a little bit of time with the Lord, but we find Jesus deeply grieving the loss of a loved one so if any in any case we would say jesus had an excuse he had a reason to say you know now's not a good time i just don't have any more energy left for this i just don't think i have anything yet or left to give in this moment that's not what happened instead after jesus withdrew Though he was tired, though he was grieving, when their boat came back ashore, he saw that the crowds had followed him on foot. And there they were again waiting. And when Jesus saw them, Matthew tells us this, but the other gospel writers tell us this too. He saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. And as he had compassion on them, he once again began to give of himself and to heal their sick. I had a conversation a few years ago uh, with someone who is no longer in our church, but this person was in our church, and this person was frustrated that, that he felt like we, we talked about compassion too much, and we didn't talk about judgment enough. And the reason he felt that way was because he said, well, we're talking all the time about compassion and love towards all these people, but I'm ready to see some of these people face the consequences for the things they've done. I'm ready to see some of these folks have a little bit more judgment and maybe learn their lesson. And I remember it as he said this, he asked the question, 
doesn't compassion have some limits shouldn't it have some limits and my simple response to him was boy i'm sure glad that christ had no limits in his compassion for me because i can promise you that i have pushed and pushed and pushed beyond so many levels where i too deserve to face those consequences but christ has had no limit on his compassion for me and i want to live as that kind of person as i show compassion to others as i said empathy is evaporating in our culture and as we resist the death of compassion in our own hearts and lives note that jesus when they landed he's the first one who shows compassion it wasn't the disciples it wasn't some intermediary who met them on the shore but it was jesus who saw the crowds and was moved to compassion. And this word that, that Matthew uses here in the Greek is really a, a very instructive word. It's packed with a lot of meaning. And I, I don't always show you the Greek words, but this one's just so long and hard to say. I just had to show you. Splagnitsomai is the word. But at the root of this word is, is the word splachnon. And so uh, just to make sure you're still with me and because it's kind of fun to say, I want you to say that with me. Say splachnon. Okay, you really got to get it deep guttural to get the feel. Splachnon, okay, splachnon, say splachnon, okay. That, that ugly word, splachnon, it, it's ugly because it, it's, it's a word that, that has a picture to it. it. It means your bowels. It means your guts. And so to feel compassion at the level of the splachnon is to feel a, a gut-wrenching level of feeling emotion and compassion for a person who's in need jesus didn't just have superficial compassion or or, or feelings towards folks uh, he didn't just kind of say oh i feel bad for them matthew says deep in his gut in the innermost part of his physical being in his humanity jesus felt compassion for the plight of the crowds and let us not forget that most of the people who were following Jesus were not the cream of the crop. They were not the wealthiest. They were not the most welcomed and accepted in most places, but they were the poorest of the poor. They were the outcasts. They were the sick. They were the tormented. They were the oppressed. And when Jesus saw them and saw their plight in life, but also knew that in this moment they were physically hungry, he had compassion on them remember this is a moment of loss grief exhaustion and yet jesus nevertheless demonstrated a selfless and i would say an excessive level of compassion we know that word excessive very well because in our culture we live with a lot of excess we are very rarely those who are going hungry or are in need. We are very rarely those who don't have enough. We are most often those who have too much. And yet, sometimes we, even though we have too much, aren't as generous as perhaps we ought to be. In this case, Jesus has an excess of compassion. And I ask you, as we resist the death of compassion, what would that look like for us to, to feel that, that gut-wrenching level of compassion and respond with an excessive amount of grace and generosity and love towards others? Listen, I, I know it's hard. I've had those moments a lot recently where I say, Lord, I'm not sure I have much more to give. I see that 
this situation in front of me, the magnitude of it is great, but, but for some reason I'm, I just don't feel what I ought to feel. Lord, give me that Christ-like level of compassion that it, it moves me so much in my guts that I can't help but to feel your love and your compassion for others. I love this story because Jesus not only modeled compassion for his disciples, but then I think in the next part we get a clue as to perhaps why this was so memorable and why all of the gospel writers included this story. Because he takes the disciples and he doesn't just model compassion for them, but he brings them into the story and he, and he commands them, he instructs them to participate, that they would be actively involved in, in showing and demonstrating the fruit of that compassion to the crowds who were around. So Jesus told them, you give them something to eat. The, the precursor to this was that as the disciples realized the hour was growing late and that they were out in, in what Matthew calls a remote place, their best plan was to send the crowds out to the surrounding villages so that they could find something to eat there. And that indeed was a plan, but it wasn't a great plan. It's hard for us to, to fathom the level of crisis that this moment was, but it truly was a crisis because they're not in the middle of Jerusalem. And they're not down in the southern part of Israel where there are lots of large cities. They're out in a remote place around Galilee. And even some of the larger towns in this area are just a couple thousand people. Capernaum is a great example of this. It's a town we hear a lot about in Jesus' Galilean ministry. Capernaum only had 2,000 residents in it, and it was one of the larger towns. So we have 5,000 men plus, Matthew says, women and children as well. Where could thousands of people go, even to the surrounding villages, and think that they would be able to find enough food to feed everyone? It wasn't going to happen. So the disciples say, let's send them out. But Jesus says, no, they don't need to go. Let them stay, and you give them something to eat. Now, before we dig a little deeper into that command, it's important to, to note the importance of, the essential nature of bread to sustain life in the ancient world. We have so many food options today that we don't realize just how much of a staple bread was in the ancient diet and just how necessary it was, especially for the poor, to have bread just to survive. So again, they're, they're not just looking at some people who say, wow, we've missed a meal. You know, we were with Jesus all the way through lunch and we're a little bit hungry. Many of these people were starving and, and bread was such a need that even in the story we learned that there was barely even any bread present among this large crowd. But Jesus says, not, I will feed them. He puts the responsibility on the disciples in what will become a significant teaching moment. Again, probably a clue as to why this is included in all four Gospels. He says, I want you to give them something to eat. And so, of course, the disciples are not, we shouldn't be surprised that they say, but Jesus, how? If you go and look at Mark and John's account in, in both of those gospels, they, they give a price. They say, Lord, it would take like 200 denarii to, to, to buy enough food to feed a crowd of this size. 200 days wages just to provide a little bit of food for everyone who is here. John's account tells us, though, it was a little boy 
Andrew, the disciple who had a propensity for bringing people to Jesus, Andrew brings a little boy to Jesus who has five loaves of barley bread and two fish, and he says, Jesus, this is what we have to work with. Almost implicitly, do your thing, right? This is what we have to work with. But there's a beautiful moment as the the bread and the fish are brought. Before the people were served, Jesus broke the bread in a way that that signaled a, a, a moment of worship. You might even see in this, this moment where he, he breaks the bread and he offers a traditional blessing, sort of a, a, a foretaste of the Lord's Supper, of communion. You, you read further and, then, and, and you see Jesus do this at the Last Supper, and then you think back to this story and say, was Jesus not giving them a foretaste as he broke the bread, as he said a traditional blessing over the bread, that, that he was welcoming them to his table. And not only was he welcoming the disciples, he was welcoming everyone in the crowd to his table. And as he broke the bread in in an act of worship, this was a foretaste of the bread that would be given to them later. The bread that would represent his body given for them, killed on the cross, that they would have life, the bread of life that would last forever. When Jesus said the blessing, it It was probably something like this, a traditional blessing over bread in the Hebrew world. Praise unto thee, O Lord our God, King of the world, who makes bread to come forth from the earth. And then as he broke the bread, he didn't make bread and food just sort of mysteriously appear in everybody's hands. But instead, this is like the -the on-the-job training as a part of the teaching moment for the disciples. He tells them to take the basketfuls of bread that he's multiplied to be enough to feed this entire humongous crowd of people. And he says to the disciples, I want you to take the bread and I want your hands to be the ones that go and serve the poor. You see that picture, right? Jesus could have fed everyone. He could have just filled their stomachs. He could have just made their hunger go away. He could have just infused life and energy into their body. Or he could have just made food appear in their hands. But this was a moment, this memorable moment for the disciples where he said, You are my hands and feet. You are the ones who are going to take this bread in my name and bless the poor. And bless the hurting, the starving. You're going to do this and 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 this teachable moment it not only resonates with them so that they tell the story again but the impact that it had on their lives as the disciples someday become the apostles and they be they become the ones who are leading and directing the early church they are the ones who are driving the church's ministry to the poor they're the ones who say even in the system that we create as the church we need to make sure that no one who has a need is ever overlooked and these disciples who who are a little bit dim-witted in these stories and a little bit slow to pick up on what jesus is doing later they become the leaders the commissioners themselves of those who are sent out to care for the broken And to share the good news of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing teaching moment. And the disciples, later on, they finally 
get this message. They are, are brought into this story. They become the hands and feet of Christ. But let us not forget that what happened on that day was a genuine miracle. It began with him having compassion on the crowds. Then Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat to his disciples. But when the story comes to a close, we're told, and everybody ate, and they were all satisfied. What Jesus provided was not just enough, but it was more than what they needed. There's, there's got to be a whole other sermon in there somewhere. What Jesus provided was not just enough, but it was more than what they needed. And if you look back to some of the, the descriptive history of Israel and Palestine, we, we tend to picture bread like a loaf of bread or a little biscuit or a little roll. But, but the, the average loaf of bread was something like eight inches long and an inch thick. And so we imagine that, that people had a lot of bread to eat. And they, they had so much to eat that we're told that there were basketfuls left over. In an, in an act that, that was very common in, in Middle Eastern culture in the ancient world, but is still common today, they did not want to waste anything that could provide nourishment for any living thing. So, so they began to gather the scraps of bread. Imagine even just the, the hard edges of a, of a loaf of bread that they didn't eat. They gather them up in basket fills. They, they don't want to waste anything. Some of us who went to Jordan together a couple years ago, we, we had an experience where we saw how this still works in Middle Eastern culture today. Our, our trips to Jordan when we were going were, were to work with the Jordanian churches, but, but most of what we were doing was with refugees from Syria who had come down to the northern part of Jordan. So we would go to the northern part of Jordan and working with the churches, spend a lot of time with those refugees from Syria. And we noticed as we were going house to house one day that, that many of the refugees who lived in something like unfinished apartment buildings, they, they didn't have nice, secure homes. Most of them, instead of having a front door, they just had a, a curtain to go back and forth inside their little domicile. But we noticed that there were these white plastic buckets on their porches just filled with, with uneaten bread or scraps of bread. And so we thought at first maybe this was just sort of a strange way they were putting the trash out. But they said, no, because most of us can't work, we don't have the right visas to, to work here in Jordan, we're collecting this bread, and we don't want anything to be wasted. We take it onto the hillsides where there are shepherds still today who are taking care of their sheep, and we sell the bread, the scraps of bread to the shepherds so that their sheep have something to eat, and we take just a little bit amount of money that they give us to try to live on. Still today, you see this picture of gathering up, not wasting the extras, and and don't you love that, that there were not just basketfuls left, but how many does Matthew tell us there were? There were 12. There was one basket of leftover bread for each of the disciples to take. As they saw this amazing work that Jesus did where every person, man, woman, and child, was able to eat until they were full. It's interesting, as I mentioned, that the disciples are a little slow-witted at times. They don't seem to, to pick up what's going on. If you read into the next chapter, Matthew chapter 15, you see that once again they have a, a big crowd around them. This time it's a crowd of 4,000. And incredulously, the disciples say to Jesus, how are we going to feed all these people? Are you kidding me? He just did this. You've seen this before. But the disciples still just don't quite get what Jesus is doing. 
Not so the crowds. John tells us after he feeds the 5,000, the crowds start saying, this man is like a prophet we've never seen. He is like no one we've ever seen coming into this world. And, and Jesus knew that the crowds intended to take him by force and try to make him their king, as if that was going to work. But to take him by force and make him their king because they could see the amazing things God was doing. Yet the disciples, Jesus' own disciples, who had physically been involved in the act of serving the poor still didn't seem to get it. If you look in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 6, he gives a little note in verse 52 as to why the disciples seem to be slow to catch on. And here's what Mark says. It's not just because they didn't understand, and it's not because they didn't have enough faith, but it's because their hearts were still hardened. That's exactly what Mark says. The disciples still didn't understand what happened with the loaves because their hearts were still hardened. Today, as we talk about resisting the death of compassion, I think that's where the rubber meets the road. Are our hearts still hardened? Maybe it's a result of the fact that we are tired. We've given more than we ever thought we could give, and we're just ready for this stuff to go away. Yes, absolutely. But are our hearts hardened today? Or, or do we have a Christ-like openness and spirit of welcome towards others to be his hands and feet when the need is right in front of us, clear as day? Will our hearts be hard or, or will we be the compassionate people that Christ has called us to be? Can I just give you one little side note here? Even if you say no, I'm still going to give you a side note before we're done. It stands out to me, as they all ate and were satisfied, that even Judas ate his fill. And even Judas, who was a part of, of handing out and distributing the bread, even Judas was able to take his own basket of bread away. It's a reminder of something that Zach actually referred to in his message last week. That the, the teaching the Bible gives us about our enemies, those who have wronged us in the past, those who may wrong us in the future, the teaching that the Bible gives us about our enemies is very hard teaching indeed. Because Jesus said, I don't just want you to love those who love you back, but I want you to love your enemies and pray for your enemies. And if Jesus' teaching wasn't hard enough, Paul goes on to say in Romans 12, if your enemy is hungry, he's quoting Proverbs here, if your enemy is hungry, feed your enemy. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Even Judas ate his fill on this occasion and got to take some bread home. This is hard teaching indeed. But hear me, resisting the death of compassion means having compassion not only for strangers and not even just for our loved ones, but for our enemies too. And Jesus fed Judas. He modeled this for us. And he called us to be people who model that kind of compassion in our lives as well. This was a miracle of Jesus' power. It's also a miracle of compassion. When Jesus feeds the 4,000 in the next chapter, again, we're told he, he had compassion on them. But here's what Mark adds to the story. Mark says, Jesus didn't just feel compassion because they were hungry. He felt compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
He just saw a bunch of people around him who looked lost, who looked empty, who, who were searching for meaning in life and something that could bring rest and peace to their weary souls. Today, as we prepare to have our time of invitation in a moment, I want you to picture with me the table that Jesus set. As he was out there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, there wasn't a literal table, but it was as if he had prepared this table for the crowds, and he said to every single one of them, you are welcome at my table. Later on, Jesus will teach about a great banquet table where people are invited to dine with him forever and ever after our physical life is over. We're invited to sit at this great banquet table in the kingdom of God where we will be welcome and where we will dine with the Lord forever and ever. And the table that the Lord has set, it's just like that one that he gave to the crowds out there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. It's not a high table where only the most exclusive clientele are welcome. It's a long table where those are who, who are going to come and dine with Jesus Christ will come from every corner of the earth, where those who, who come are invited from among the poor and the rich, the sick and the healthy, black, white, men, women, children, it doesn't matter. The invitation is open. All it takes to sit at that table is simply to say yes to the lordship of Jesus Christ in your own heart and life. And not to simplify it too much, but again, using that metaphor at the table, of the table, there are still seats available. And the call that Christ has given is to come and not eat a loaf of bread, but to dine on the bread of life. Jesus, the bread from heaven, like the manna that God provided for his people out in the wilderness, given to us that we may have life and sustenance that only God can give us, and can only be found in Jesus Christ. Today, the invitation is open to take a seat at the table, this wide, long table of welcome that Jesus has prepared. Jesus Christ, compassionate and loving, even when we are like lost sheep. Jesus Christ, who models compassion, love, and forgiveness, even when, as he said, in the last days, the hearts and the love of many will grow cold. Even as we see the love of many growing cold, Jesus is compassionate and loving and welcoming to us. He is the bread of life. He is the bread of heaven. He is all we need to be full and to experience life to the fullest. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today?